I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ. It is Wednesday night, so you know what that means. Take graphs, uh, everybody's favorite Major League Baseball podcast each and every week on this very feed up there in New York City. Kind of New York City. He's in Worcester Worcester sauce, New York. Westchester sauce. Westchester sauce. Westchester shirt sauce. Mm. Have you ever had Westchestershire sauce, John Taylor? Yeah, I, I use some in a I, I use some in a, a, a marinade I made the other day. It's, it's great. I don't think I've ever had it. I don't think I've ever actually opened it and poured it in there. I know it's in every single human being's uh, refrigerator, regardless of what they use. You are it. legally required when you when you buy a refrigerator to put a bottle of Worcestershire sauce and a box of Arm and Hammer baking soda in there. Yeah, I don't. Uh... I, I I will say I don't think I've ever had Army Hammer baking soda, and you also want to keep that away from other humans. I've heard that's one you don't want uh, around other alive human beings, John Taylor. That that's fair. That's fair. Mm. Um, John Taylor, Major League Baseball, yes. the hot stove. Uh, uh, last week we, or I guess was it at time? Th- this whole week is just insane. The the week in between Christmas and New Year's. Just time is a flat circle. I don't understand what day it is. I don't understand what all we're doing. But we Nothing talked about Otani. Yamamoto uh, some, uh, signed uh, since our last recording that we'll get into uh, in a little bit, John Taylor. But um, winter meetings really much settled down. I think we're going to have a lot of bullpen action uh, in the coming weeks, it seems like, if you follow the tea leaves here. But uh, John Taylor, your take graphs, take of the week for December 27th is what, sir? Uh, is anyone going to beat the Dodgers this year? Because they have certainly apparently decided that they are not losing. Um, and granted, it feels really easy to say. I mean, it, and we get this every every offseason, right? Somebody's got to win the winter. And I think 
barring something crazy happening between now and the start of spring training, the Dodgers have pretty well won the winter. They got the big prize in Otani. They got the second biggest prize in Yoshinobu Yamamoto. They also added Tyler Glass now. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be done making moves. I, it's kind of hard to imagine how much more they can do at this point, but you know, they very easily could keep adding if they want to keep adding. Money is very clearly not an object for this team, but it's you know it, it's really so it, it, it it's really kind of striking like how much the how good this roster is and not just how good this roster is for 2024 but also for beyond and this is something I think we'll we'll get into in talking more about Yamamoto but my basic setup the basic setup now is between Otani and Yamamoto both of whom are under 30 and significantly mm-hmm. so under 30 uh, Shohei Otani believe just turned uh 29 back in july so he's not significantly under 30 but he's still under 30 and yoshinobu yamamoto just turned 25 in august they have now set themselves up for the next decade with those two men leading the way for whatever comes next transitioning the team from the current existing clayton kershaw freddie freeman mookie betts uh kind of core to whatever comes next after that. We've already seen, you know, we've seen this with the Dodgers already having to be already beginning to have shed some of the pieces of what they were. You saw that uh, with Justin Turner leaving. You have seen that um, with, I mean, Kershaw is still there, but he's not going to pitch till midseason. And it's pretty clear that this, you know, one way or another, we are reaching the end with Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Julio Urias is gone. Trevor Bauer is gone, although both for particularly sordid reasons. Uh, Kenley Jansen is gone. You know, this is very much a team in transition away from that set core that made them so successful in the past. And what they've done is just reorient and say, okay, well, now we're just going to build around Otani and Yamamoto. We've got the best hitter in the major leagues. We've got a guy who's projected to be one of the 10 best pitchers in the major leagues. Also a guy in glass now who uh, just complete the under or the, I would say under 30 trifecta, but glass now just turned 30 this year. So uh, he'll be, I think this will be his age 30 season, but regardless, um, they are moving forward with that that trio very clearly as their set future. To say nothing of the guys they already have in place, uh, Will Smith, Bobby Miller, ideally Gavin Lux. Um, you know, th- there is a real the Dodgers in that sense are just building themselves up as a perpetual inevitability. You know what I mean? Like this is this is the team, or this is the team that is just always going to be competitive. It's always at least with this ownership and this front office record. It's always going to be competitive. It's always going to be in the picture. It's always going to be there uh, making life harder for everyone else. You know, this is a team that are not going away. Again, they just reoriented themselves, They, you know, around this new group. And because the other thing, too, is you look at this existing Dodgers roster as is. A lot of those core pieces are over 30. Betts is 31. Freeman is 34. Max Muncy is 33. Uh you know, most of that bullpen is in it, or the good chunk of the a good chunk of that bullpen is in its thirties. Walker Bueller is the other younger uh, player I forgot to mention because, in large part, because he just wasn't around last year because of Tommy John. Similarly with Dustin May, when he comes back from Tommy John, I think also is part of that group. Uh, James Altman, another important under thirty guy. Miguel Vargas, ideally. Emmett Sheehan, Gavin Stone. You know, to say nothing of what what's cooking down in the minors for them, which is perpetually great. You know, this is. It's kind of unprecedented what the Dodgers are doing and can do to be in this place of not just consistent contention, but consistent future contention, where, again, this is a team that is going to be good for the foreseeable future. So long as Otani and Yamamoto are healthy and productive, there's no reason this team won't be good. And they've demonstrated to this offseason that whatever they will spend, whatever resources it takes, be it money or prospects or both, 
to ensure this window never, ever closes for them. And I think that, for me, is what makes it so kind of frightening to consider, like, maybe you beat the Dodgers this year. You never know. I I don't think any of us saw the Texas Rangers winning the World Series in 2023, and yet here we are. But at the same time, maybe better said instead of, can anyone beat the Dodgers, is can anyone outlast them? Because what they've done Hmm. is given themselves the bet, not just the best odds this year, but the best odds going forward. That at some point, you know, the, the roulette wheel that is baseball will stop spinning and land on them because they have put bets on the most numbers. Is it clear that I don't actually know how roulette functions and have never played it before? I don't think as far either. as I understand it, you, you bet on the numbers and then if the ball falls in the little number hole, you win money. But I don't know if you can bet on more than one number at the same time. Can you spread your chips out? Either way, the, the, the dots themselves up for the foreseeable future forever it's mm. it's the dodgers stomping on the league forever in a way that i don't really think baseball has seen since arguably the the golden days of the dynasty yankees back in in, in the in the 40s and 50s you know where mm. when there were so many when the game was so completely different it was so much easier in a sense to build a team that just stayed together forever you never had to worry about free agency you never had to worry about uh you know spending limits it was just whatever you could construct the Dodgers have figured it out. They have figured out a way to be a perpetual contention machine. Mm. They have, John, but it's one of those things where people are really freaking out about, oh, the Dodgers are inevitable. But it's like Glasnow very easily could not be around on their postseason roster. Um, we'll see what Otani's like. Oh, well, I, I, should, yeah. I should note, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, there's so much, and I think when I, when I mentioned roulette, part of it is because there's so much chance in a given season. Mm. Guys get hurt. Guys underperform. Weird stuff happens. Your mm. starting shortstop might, uh, turns out, be a guy who tries to date fourteen-year-olds all the time, and that might just sink your title hopes. To, to, yeah, you know, um, weird things happen in the sport of baseball. But what the Dodgers have done, I think, is set themselves up to weather not just to weather that better than anybody, but to tilt the table and tilt the odds as much in their favor as possible by adding the guys who project to be the most productive for the next decade. Again. Shohei Otani is the best hitter in baseball, and he probably will be for the rest of his career, or at the very least for the next minimum five years. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, if the projections are right, will be one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball for the next at least five years and maybe longer than that. By signing those two guys, they again have uh, they have uh, moved the odds in their favor. And even if it's just by a small amount, it's still, it's still something. Again, we don't have uh, – that's going to take a little bit to get used to. Fangraphs doesn't have uh, playoff odds for 2024 yet, obviously. Those aren't going to be ready for quite some time. But it will not, I don't think it'd be a surprise to anyone, you know, de- depending on what happens to me here in the beginning of, and, and that time, that the Dodgers are probably going to open the 2024 season as the odds on World Series favorite. Um, and not just at Fangraphs, I would imagine it with every single projection system that exists to say nothing of among uh, in Vegas and among casual fans, among hardcore fans, among prognosticators, analysts. You know, they have set themselves up to be the favorite. If things break in the wrong direction, so be it. That happens. You know, that would have, but that would have happened with or without Otani, with or without mm-hmm. Yamamoto. By adding them, they make the odds that much better that even if things do break bad for them, they still have what it takes to survive, to advance, and ideally to come out of it with a championship. Well, we haven't talked about what Yamamoto means for this rotation because we talk about the rotation. We'll see what Kershaw does. We'll see how Bueller bounces back. We'll see what Otani looks like over the next couple of years. If we we don't know if he'll ever rejoin the rotation, like we'll we'll see. 
how he heals and what it looks like uh, for Shohei um, in 2025 on that re- in that regard. But when you look at this rotation, John, what does Yamamoto bring and what does this rotation look like to you? Is this still a weakness? Because we talked about it over the, the offseason here when we first got started that the Dodgers rotation still was kind of shaky and they they really it was going to be interesting to see what they did to shore that up because it was a real problem for them uh, this mm-hmm. season with their depth. So do you think they're OK now for sure? Or do you still think that there is some some volatility even with Yamamoto on board? No, I think they're I think they're in a very strong position. I think so much of that is Yamamoto. I mean, who knows what in, what exactly the adjustment for him will be coming from Japan to the United States and all the various adjustments that have to be made by Japanese players coming to the United States, both on the field and off. But from everything we've seen, everything we've been told, everything that we've read, everything that the projections have said, this is a guy you should expect will be making an ace level impact right off the go, right from the right off the bat, right mm-hmm. from the get go, both. Um, to that, you can add Glasnow, who I, I, I'm i with you. I don't really expect him to throw more than like 130 innings. I think that's mm. a fool's gambit to expect anything more than that out of Tyler Glasnow. But what's worth noting with Glasnow is for as much as I don't love, in particular, I don't love the extension for him because I think that's a lot of, it's betting very heavily that either the Dodgers can figure out a way to keep him healthy long term, which I don't know that any team really has that ability, or that there's somehow another another level yet for him to reach which I also find uh, a little hard to believe, although maybe there's something there with better pitch efficiency, better control, who knows, we'll see. Regardless, even if he only gives the Dodgers 130 innings next year, that's 130 elite innings. It's 130 innings at probably like a 125 ERA plus or better, which is mm-hmm. obviously much better than giving 130 innings to a collection of guys like, uh, you know, Nick Frasso or Kyle Hurt or, you know, I mean, let, let, let's look at it this way. Here... Because the Dodgers rotation last year was kind of a, a, a shit show all the way around. Here are some guys who had to start games for the Los Angeles Dodgers at some point in time. Mm. No, Noah Syndergaard, just for, they gave 12 starts and 55 innings to Noah Syndergaard. He had an ERA plus of 61. They gave 69 innings to Michael Grove and an ERA plus of 71. Uh, 103 innings to Tony Gonsolin, who had an ERA plus of 87 before he blew out his elbow. Uh, 64 innings to Lance Lynn with a league average ERA plus of 100. Uh, 60 innings to Emmett Sheehan for an ERA plus of 89. Uh, other guys who made starts, Ryan Yarborough, Victor Gonzalez, Gavin Stone. Like, you know, some of these are young guys where I think you will expect them. I mean, they're obviously going to count on guys like Sheehan and Grove and uh, and Stone to be a big part of, of, of their rotation, both this year and going forward. And that also includes, you know, I, I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't crap on the likes of, you know, Nick Frasso and Landon Knack. They, were be, they will be useful for them. Mm. But not having to pencil those guys into the rotation right away, allowing them time to, to develop if need be in AAA, to get the, to get to to you know, work out the kinks, to be called upon only in an emergency and not have to hand them the ball every five days, which is something they they had to keep doing with Stone and and Sheehan and Pepio and Grove last year, and it just did not work out. Uh, similarly, they're going to get Walker Bueller back at some point, coming back from Tommy John rehab. Obviously, the immediate return from Tommy John is never perfect, never easy. But Bueller was an elite pitcher before, and assuming that you know he still has the same stuff he has, there's no reason to expect any different. Bobby Miller is now the fourth starter in this rotation, and Bobby Miller was by ERA plus the second best starter on the Dodgers last year at 116. Now he's number four in that backing order. Hmm. Number five, you've got Emmett Sheehan. And again, this doesn't take into account that they're going to get Kershaw back at some point over the course of the season. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's any likelihood that Gonsolin and May are back ready. That's more; those seem like more 2025 bets. But I think 
at the very least, you add Yamamoto, you add Glasnow, you have given yourself ideally 350 or so innings minimum, I think the Dodgers would bank on, of what should be incredibly above average pitching. Add to that whatever Bueller gives you, which I imagine will probably be something in the 150 range. That is 500 innings from three of the 25 to 30 best starters in baseball that they just simply didn't have last year. That they had to give, again, to a combination of Gonsolin, Groves, Syndergaard, Lynn, Sheehan, uh, Pepio, Stone. uh, Guys who just either were not ready for primetime or left primetime behind a long time ago. So, look, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers do add... Um, and, and I guess it depends to a certain degree who's still available. And just checking out the the leftover free agents in the, in the starting pitching market, I don't see them being in on a guy like Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery mm-hmm. at this point, given how much money they dropped on Otani and Yamamoto. But you know, in particular, uh, maybe someone on the lower end of things like uh, you know a Mike Clevenger, a Michael mm-hmm. Lorenzen, a you know uh, someone in someone maybe in that stretch, a kind of le- a Sean Manea, a, a James Paxton, a Lucas Giolito. I think there's still a possibility of getting a guy like that to add, you know, even more innings and more depth to that group so that you don't necessarily have to go into opening day with Emmett Sheehan as your number five starter. But that's also not a bad thing. Emmett Sheehan was a very good prospect. That's a that's a really nice piece to have at the end of your rotation. So, no, I, I think the Dodgers rotation is a real, real strength for them right now. I think it was that and adding, I think, one more dynamic bat to their lineup was really what they had to do this offseason. And they accomplished they accomplished both those goals in arguably the best possible way they could. I like it. Um, something else that you're uh, not going to like, John Taylor, um, Lucas Giolito. It, does he make sense? You mentioned him here for uh, this Red Sox or for this uh, Dodgers rotation on the back end here. Link to the Red Sox. Does Lucas Giolito make sense to you? Yes. I mean, why not? For starters, he's alive. So that's a big plus. Mm-hmm. Um Look, the Red Sox need all the help they can get in the rotation. In the same way I just gave you the Dodgers um, uh, rotation depth chart, let me give you the the Red Sox current uh, rotation depth chart. And you just stop me when you when I get to a player or point where you just immediately start to feel anxiety. Chris Sale. Mm. You, you could probably have stopped me right there, but I'll keep going. Nick Pavetta. I feel bad for Chris Sale. I, I really feel bad for Chris Sale, but anyway. Yeah. Chris Sale. Skinny Nick tall Pavetta. kings. I just identify a lot with Chris Sale. As a lefty, skinny, tallish man, I was just a... Uh, uh, it will always... You uh, you, you fellow Southpaw blades of grass must stick mm-hmm. together. Pale skin, um, like, say, not happy to be out in public. Yeah, you know. Yeah, just constantly enraged with everything around him. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't think COVID is a real thing. Well, uh, that's not me. Was that a sale guy? <laughs> was that a sale thing? I don't remember. So this, I'm not... I, I, shouldn't be, I shouldn't be saying that. I don't know for sure, but... Would you be surprised if you learned that Chris Sale is a COVID denier? I mean, we can go down a whole rabbit hole here on baseball players. I mean, would you be surprised but, yeah. if any MLB player named were a COVID yes. denier? Let's, yeah. let's just leave it at that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that rotation right now. Chris Sale, Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo, Cutter Crawford, Tanner Houck. That is, I don't think it's a stretch to say that is one of the five worst rotations in baseball right now. It's not that great. Is an awful group. That is an awful starting five. Worse, there's no depth behind that. Uh, assuming that, that the Red Sox are now actually serious for real about keeping Garrett Whitlock in the bullpen. And I think at this point, it, it looks pretty clear that, you know, I, I don't know that you can trust him as a starter. It just does not seem to work for whatever reason. Your depth starters are Brandon Walter and Chris Murphy, both of whom got blasted to hell and back uh, when they made appearances for the team last year. Uh, Cooper Criswell, who they signed away from the Rays for all of a million bucks. And that's pretty much it. 
there is no starting pitching depth in this in this in, on this roster in this system. The four plus years of Heim Bloom in charge netted virtually nothing in terms of pitching. So regardless of what Giolito did last year, and for the record, what Giolito did last year was be pretty bad for the most part. He was, well, I should say he was great in Chicago or very good in Chicago. He was terrible with the Angels. He was even worse with the Guardians. I'm willing to give him a mulligan on those last two because that was just a really weird way for the season to go. And those are two. The Angels, God help them. Who knows what they're up to? The Guardians by that point were pretty clearly just playing out the string. But if nothing else, Giolito gives them innings, which I think is a very, very important thing that they need because of those five guys I mentioned, uh, Stale, Pavetta, Bayo, Crawford, and Hal, the high in innings last year from any of those guys was Bayo's 157. I don't think you can count on Sale for more than 120 innings at this point in time. Pavetta, I mean, Nick Pavetta should be in the bullpen, not in the rotation at this point, because if he's in the rotation, he's a purely league average arm. He can get you some outs, but that's pretty much about it. Crawford, Hauk, again, both guys I don't really think you're going to be comfortable asking for more than 140 innings. Giolito, on the other hand, when he's healthy, is 175 innings like clockwork. So regardless of what the Red Sox think they can get out of Giolito, and I have to imagine that if they're interested in him, they think that there is some ability to recover the the you know Cy Young caliber form he showed uh, in 2019 and 2020 and 2011 with the White Sox. You know, there has to be, at the very least, he gives them league average or better innings, which is something that they both do not have at the moment and do not have projected anywhere else on their roster with or within their farm system. So I think it makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider the uh, reputation or that Craig Breslow developed with the Cubs as being kind of a pitching, uh, being more pitching forward, kind of a pitching guru. And also on top of everything else, because Giolito's season for the, I mean, again, he was very good with the White Sox and then bad down the stretch with uh, the Angels and Guardians. It's fair to say that Giolito is probably going to come at a relative discount. I mean, he's also, you know, despite, and this is also an important thing too. He's only 28 years old, mm. or sorry, 29 years old. He won't turn 30 until July. This is not a, uh, this is not a Kyle Gibson type, you know, 34, 35 year old kind of sore veteran arm where you're like, you know, we just need outs. There is still real upside to Lucas Giolito. And I think it's upside that can be had at a more reasonable price than say, splashing you know 100 million plus on jordan montgomery to give you slightly better results than that so i think it makes a lot of sense from the red sox perspective what i'm curious to see is how many other teams are interested particularly teams like say tampa or the dodgers or houston that have have that reputation for being pitcher fixer uppers and that might be able to score a nice little uh discount here on a guy that i think is is probably came into the offseason as a, a pretty underrated asset hmm I don't. The Red Sox are going to be so fascinating when we get into our previews next, uh, going into next year. Are you ready for this joke, John? I'll see you in the new year, John Taylor. I'll see you next year. I'll talk to you next year. Do you get? Well, it? I mean, yeah, you literally will. I, I was. I kind of just want to see how long you were going to try to sell that. Like next, John Taylor. I won't see you again until twenty twenty four. I won't see you again until next year, the next calendar year. I re- again, I really want to see how long you're going to keep this going. Is it, is it going to be the rest of the pod? It's just you saying, just increasing, like, it'll be a whole other year the next time we mm-hmm. speak to each other. A whole different year. We never I, could just like the, the the Epstein bit from Conan, the Conan interview. Yeah. The... I... <laughs> Do you hear... Jeff? <laughs> um, look, I'll, I'll give you a preview of my Red Sox preview. They're a last place mm-hmm. team. Are we sure? Flat out. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't really, think we're sure, John. The AL East is going to be weird, man. Well, I, I just don't see how Who this the is Orioles a winning? team. I don't see how this is a better team on paper than any of the other. The only team I might, I think you might be able to make an argument for, um, especially given that they just did something like give Isaiah Kiner Falefa to your deal for reasons I can't begin to fathom, is that maybe that there maybe there's a real dip coming for the Blue Jays. You know, if nothing else, the the vibes based hit they took on Otani just yeah. slurping them hardcore. I don't know, but we're, we'll we'll see. But I. A lot of it is, again, this rotation, which is, again, a bottom five unit in the majors right now. And that's the other thing. They they need way more than Lucas Giolito in terms of help here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it makes sense for them to be in on uh, a Blake Snell uh, type, but the the other options, there's not really a lot left at this point. Most of mm. the mid-tier rotation options uh, have Stein, with the exception of Marcus Stroman, who would be the worst culture fit in Boston imaginable. <laughs> Or uh, back of the rotation guys like Michael Lorenzen or uh, Sean Manea or, you know, or you're taking shots on guys like James Paxson or Lucas Giolito or Matthew Boyd, where the plus stuff is still there, but you're just not sure how often it's actually going to be there between potential injuries or just the the inconsistency that kind of marks those guys. So say nothing again, like Paxson is 35, Boyd is 33. These are not durable guys you're going to be able to count on for 180 innings or whatnot, nor are they guys you're going to be able to make a long-term part of your rotation. Those are one-year patch jobs. So it, it, it kind of, and I, I understand ultimately that, you know, Yamamoto was never going to sign. I think ultimately never going to sign with anyone but the Dodgers, especially once Otani picked it, picked Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever realistic to expect that the Red Sox were going to be in on Yamamoto to any real degree. But that is exactly the kind of pitcher that this team needed, mm-hmm. is a, a significantly under 30 ace-type starter because there is no one approaching that level in their farm system right now, barring a huge breakout from an unexpected source. Yeah. Go Red Sox. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fun time to be a Boston Red Sox fan, which I guess this, maybe this is just a karmic penance for like four world series championships in a 15 year stretch. Like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's fine. I, I can still live on those. I'll go, well, I'll, eat, of, I'll eat out on those forever. Well, you're in a similar boat to a team, not to the same dire extent. Um, and like Grant Brisby has a great perspective on it. He's funny. And I think San Francisco Giants Twitter is pretty funny about it because in a lot of my favorite writers and analysts, because San Francisco's got a lot of great uh, folks who are covering the team and uh, write about the team and that I very much enjoy. But um, also bring back Hunter Pence. He was great on podcasting. <laughs> bring back Hunter Pence, man. He was he was good. Uh, when you find a good ex athlete, he's good uh, on podcasts. Just, uh, hey, keep him around. Um, but... John, that's a, a long way of me getting to the Giants stick poke. We did the Rockies last week, John Taylor. It's time to do the stick poke uh, this week with their offseason. They are not the same extent of what happened with the Red Sox, but they obviously the even season titles and everything's been pretty good for the Giants in the 21st century, by and large. Like it's yes. been a pretty good last 20 years if you're a, a San Francisco Giants fan. However, yes. However. they have been kicked in the groin here the last couple of years in a really really mm. rough way that i'm starting to actually feel a little bad about them so stick poke segment this week what could the giants do this winter how would you approach it if you were the gm of the giants and how much of it is just like look they tried really hard they're going after the right guys they're trying to beef things up but they can't force people to sign with the san francisco giants like i i don't know what do you what do you, what yeah. say you john taylor and that i think is kind of the problem is i think the giants and the red sox occupy that same tier of 
you know, they can make all the all the efforts and make all the the overtures they want, but at the end of the day, they're not the Dodgers. Mm. You know, they they're not the Astros. They're not the the Yankees, at least on a uh, or maybe on a legacy level. Mm. You know, and I think it's really telling that you know last year Aaron Judge, this year Yoshinobu Yamamoto, and to, I think uh, to a certain degree also Shohei Otani. Although I don't I don't get the sense Otani was ever really uh, an option for the Giants. And say I know they said we could have offered him the same deal, but well, you didn't. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's what counts. Mm -hmm. I I think it's really telling for all of those because those are, and those are, like you said, those are the right guys to be going after. Judge, Otani, Yamamoto. The guys they're targeting are the right choices. Mm -hmm. But I think what's probably happening here beyond whatever, and and this is where I just wanted to make a a quick point. I don't think whatever's going on with the city of San Francisco, which is to say the the constant uh, clamor that, San Francisco is so dangerous and gross now because there are homeless people. I don't think that matters one iota to anything other than the most like MAGA pilled Trump hat like uh, MLB players, which mm. that is not an insignificant number of guys. But I also don't think those guys were ever going to consider a city like San Francisco in the first place anyway. I don't really, I really don't think the homeless population of San Francisco matters even one tiny bit to a guy like Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani. Mm. I think what's more likely here is that those guys are looking at this roster, looking at this farm system, and going. Oh, I'm gonna have to do this all by myself, huh? Mm. Because that's really what this amounts to. Um, Dan Samborski zips. He did the Giants a couple weeks ago. He noted that this is an overall pretty solid roster, but it is really, really lacking in any kind of, I think, what we would call like, uh, not what we would call, but what you could call star power in a sense. And by that, he meant pretty much any guy who projects to be three war or better. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll pull up the actual zips because I and, and you know when Dan does his zips projections. Uh, he always, there's always a neat little graphic that shows you the projected war at each position. Looking at what the Giants have, they have exactly three, well, one single player projected to be above three three wins above replacement next year, and that's Logan Webb at 4.6. He is a legitimate ace, mm. a fantastic pitcher, the best part about this Giants team. There are two positions around the diamond in which the Giants are projected to be three wins or better. One is center field, where the newly signed Jung-Ho Lee will be a big part of what they're doing. The second is a catcher with uh, Patrick Bailey. And most of that projection for Bailey is defensive. He is not. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Much of a hitter, at least not so far, but he's a very good defender, which is obviously worth something. But at the same time, that's not going to do much in terms of run score. Everywhere else, this team is projected to be somewhere in the one to two and a half win range at every position. That's fine if all you care about is being an 80 to 82 win team and kind of be kind of we're making it work from there. But that your ceiling is so low with that particular roster setup. 
And I don't necessarily think that that's what the Giants intended. But on the other hand, when your perpetual free agent choices are guys like Michael Conforto or Mitch Haniger or, uh, you know, or well, I, I won't say Lee because obviously we haven't seen him do, but Anthony DiSclefani or Ross Stripling or, you know, Alex Cobb, like you're not aiming for ceiling. You're aiming for just some level of cheap, dependable floor. And I think if you want to, you know, and I think that in a similar, I think the Red Sox and Giants are similar in that way that their ownership has very clearly said, we are not breaking the bank anymore. You can have all the money you want in terms of being able to sign guys to fill positions, so long as you're not signing them to long-term big deals that are going to make us pay a lot of money. And I think that's just the reality is that any kind of stick book for the Giants begins with, well, ownership has got to figure out or has got to realize that you cannot consistently contend or win like this. You are setting yourself up for 500 seasons with low ceilings, which, again, does not neither moves a needle for on a roster level or in a contention level, but it also turns off your fan base. And I think this is a really big thing we've seen with the Giants over the last five or so years since their last world, or I guess it's been longer than that since their last World Series win. But in particular, over the last, I think, five to six years, that fan base is starting to turn off. They're starting to tune out the Giants. They don't really care as much anymore. Some of this, I think, is the, it coincides with the Warriors in that same period turning, like going full God mode and the fact that the 49ers are once again good. Mm. But this is a fan base that should always be there. This is one of the most dedicated, hardcore fan bases in the sport of baseball. But the vibe you get is that a lot of Giants fans have pretty much tuned out and said, look, this team's never going to try. They're only like, or even, and even when they do try, they never win. Because again, a guy like Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani looks at this roster and goes, oh, they're not winning crap. Even with me on that roster, they're not doing anything. Because it has to be more than one guy. You know, as we've seen and as we've talked about a million times, you can't win with just one dude on a bit with one superstar mm-hmm. on a baseball team. You need more than that. And some of that you can lay at the feet of ownership, not willing to spend on a bigger level. Some of that you can lay at the feet of a farm system that went through a real fallow period. And I think some of that you can lay at the feet of a front office, um, not necessarily Farhan Zaidi, although I, I'm not particularly impressed with his tenure so far, but mm. also the, the the last days of the front office before him, not really recognizing the urgency of, hey, this World Series winning core can't get younger. It is only ever going to get older. We have to have in place some level of plan for what the future looks like. You know, that and, and look, I, I, it's not like I would expect, like, as after the very last out of the 2014 World Series, that everyone you know in that front office is going to turn to each other and go, we need to get younger now. Because, you know, they had 27-year-old Buster Posey, 26-year-old Brandon Belt, uh, 27-year-old Brandon Crawford, 27-year-old Pablo Sandoval, uh, 24-year-old Madison Bumgarner. You know, this this was not an old team necessarily by, by, or by, a, by a big stretch, but they let that group hang on for so long. And mm-hmm. never really seem to have any kind of contingency plan for, okay, but what, what, what happens when they get old? Mm-hmm. Like, what happens when these guys start to fall apart? What happens if one of these guys say, oh, I don't know, just happens to decide that he wants to spend more time with his family and maybe just doesn't really feel like playing all that much anymore? Granted, that was another seven years for Buster Posey, but mm-hmm. still, I think a lot of the seeds of what happened to the Giants, uh, or a lot of the seeds of, of the Giants' downfall were planted in that post-2014 moment where that team really did not capitalize on what it had. I mean, you look at, you know, what did the 2014 Giants do after winning the World Series? Who was their big free agent signing? And, and I'm looking it up right now. I'm not, it's, not, it's not a gotcha thing, but, you know, what was their big move? They traded for Casey McGahee. They re-signed Sergio Romo. 
They added a, uh, a very cooked Jake Peavy. They signed Nori Aoki. They signed Ryan Vogelsong. Mm. They did nothing that offseason. And I can understand, again, to a certain degree, that core was set and in a good place. Uh, the only major free agent loss that they had uh, off of that group was, I was going to say Barry Zito, but I can't even sell that joke. Um, you know, there was not, there was no one coming off that roster, I think, where they had to feel like we must replace this guy. But at the same time, right there, you can already see the unwillingness to to build on what they just accomplished by saying, you know, we know what we were good last year. Let's make ourselves even better. Especially when you consider that 2014 Giants team, they only won 88 games. They were a second place team. They were a wild card team, which is to take nothing away from what they did. But that, was, that wasn't like a 100-win Dodgers team losing the World Series and going, well, of course we're going to run it back. We won 100 games last year. We've got stars everywhere. You know, that was an 88-win team carried by the single one of the single greatest postseason pitching performances we've ever seen in our lifetimes, and probably the kind we'll never see again, going, yeah, no, it's fine. We don't feel like trying anymore. Mm. And I think that, that I think that's really what the issue is. It, 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 but, I mean, I'm, I'm going like a decade now into the past. In terms of what the current Giants can do, uh, you look at where their issues are, I think, and it's funny because they have so many outfielders, but none of them really project to be anything other than kind of average. Mm. I don't really know what solution there is there. Bellinger doesn't really make sense. Uh, Cody Bellinger, that is, doesn't really make sense because they've kind of, they've got center field set up now with Lee, where sticking Bellinger in a corner doesn't really work very well for them. Um, you know, there's nothing really left in free agency for them to add. I think at this point you're probably trying to land some kind of starter in a trade. And I wonder, and you know, this is where I come again to the Blue Jays being a really weird team that just seems to have like seems to be stuck in some kind of monster hangover. If it's something like asking the Blue Jays, well, what do you want for Bobachet? What does the starting price for a guy like that look like? And who knows? I think, but I think that's where the Giants have to go at this point is to is to make the choice not just to go get the star player, but then also splash out the cash to make sure they stay. Because a guy like a guy like Bichette, it's not enough to get him. You then have got to give him the long term deal. Um, but I think if you're the Giants uh, for 2024, you've probably got to start there. You've got to find some way to add an impact bat. It is probably it probably has to be in a trade. Uh, Bichette is just one name to throw out there. I would consider also whatever options might exist uh, at third base. Um, not really, I mean, I, and I'm I'm open to suggestions here. I mean. I don't know that Matt Chapman moves a needle enough for them uh, to add at third base, but but he maybe does feel like a, a Giants move based on what they've done in the last seven years. Matt Chapman checks all the boxes for how the Giants have operated. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I think that's more of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know that. Again, I don't really know that that makes sense uh, for the Giants as currently. They have a high, but... their high ranking prospects a shortstop. Am I misremembering that? Yeah, Marco Luciano, and I have yeah. to imagine if they were to go get Bichette, Luciano would be the main piece moving back the other way. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I understand if you're if you're particularly if you're a team like the Giants that does not want to spend big, you want to hold on to those guys, those top prospects at the start of their careers um, when they are cheap, when they are potent, when they are their most valuable. But you've got to do something. I mean, if you're looking at third base, you know, maybe it's about uh, okay. I was actually looking at the, the third base options. There's not a whole lot there actually. It's kind of it's kind of rough. I don't know that they can find mm-hmm. a third base option. I think maybe. And we'll see it like next next offseason. I think the Giants are going to get yet another opportunity uh, to potentially go big and free agency in a position of need, which is to say when Alex Bregman hits free agency, I think that's a guy the Giants should be very interested in. Hmm. But again, we're, we're we're talking about 2025 now at this point. We're, I, I guess long way of saying I don't really know what the 2024 Giants can do at this point. They need an impact bat, but the only real way they're going to get one is to make a trade. 
I think their rotation is fine as is. I know that they're in on Blake Snell, and I think that makes sense. But I also feel like if you're going to be allergic to handing out big deals to free agents, Blake Snell, Blake Snell feels like the worst possible example of doing the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, that's the riskiest choice you could make. As opposed to telling Yamamoto, put any number down you want on a piece of paper and we will give it to you. It doesn't matter what the number is. We will just give it to you. You know? And I don't know. I, I Like I said, I think the Giants and the Red Sox are in a similar place where they've just kind of locked themselves into this weird like 78 to 82 win purgatory because of this refusal to go or to, to acquire the big name guys that cost money. And I don't know how you fix that really barring a total change in kind of organizational philosophy or being able to make a trade when at a time when it seems like teams are more and more likely to just cling to what they have and say, no, because we also want to be caught. We also want to be mindful of cost. Yeah. I don't think there's a great solution. I just think they're kind of locked into being average again, right? Like, yeah. And I think if you're a Giants the, fan, you're just kind of annoyed. And I wonder too, like, we can leave it here with the Giants. Like, how much is different if they end up not messing up the the Juan Soto signing? What if Juan Soto does end up in San Francisco? How different do you think things are if as we record hey, this? Or you mean next offseason? Yeah, like if they had ended up with Juan Soto and won the Juan Soto, or not? Excuse me, why am I saying Juan Soto? Aaron Judge. The Aaron oh, Judge okay. sweepstakes. Yeah. I'm losing my mind. The Aaron Judge sweepstakes. I think. I mean, I think that changes things. Certainly, I think the 2024 or the 2023 Giants would have been better. But I think they still run into the same problem that exists on their pitching side, which is they have one locked-in superstar, which is to say Logan Webb, and then mm-hmm. a whole bunch of average. Yeah. And again, I think the thing with the Giants is they they it can't just be the one guy in the offseason and then you you know dust your hands off and go we're done. You've got to you've got to add more than that. You've got to. And I, I know I know not every team is or can be the Dodgers in the way that they spend or acquire, but that's really what it takes to lift yourself up out of this place. You've got to be willing to add the. If you don't have a farm system that is constantly producing talent, you know the way that like Baltimore's or Tampa's or or the Dodgers, you know the way that those teams do, you have to go out and spend the money. That's the only way to get yourself out of the hole. You have mm-hmm. to do what Texas did. You just have to take the plunge. And then, I think there is probably the best example of what San Francisco could be is what Texas did. They took, they gave Marcus Samian a huge deal. They gave Corey Seager a huge deal. They gave Jacob DeGrom a huge, they gave huge deals all over the place. Some of those are going to age like milk left out under the sun, but you know what? It won them a world series and that flag flies forever. So, yeah, you know, if that would be my advice to the giants, go back in time to 2022, sign Corey Seager and Marcus Samian and profit. And profit john taylor uh final one here before we go um i think this is something fascinating that i i wonder if this will end up happening there was a story a few weeks back on the mets and whether or not um what the future might hold for pete alonso do you think a, a trade eventually is on the table like we know stearns is now running things they're gonna have more of a milwaukee flavor not full small market milwaukee flavor but the mets i think are going to not just be spin 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 they're going to be a little bit more conscious uh conscientious mm-hmm. about what they do in uh over the next couple of years here um even when they dip their toes uh into the yamamoto sweepstakes and obviously otani as well but i do wonder like he's kind of a fan favorite obviously he hits a lot of dingers that's a lot of fun um he's just uh a staple in new york it's not like you're trading Ike Davis, a little bit different uh, from back in the day. It won't hurt as much, a little bit different. But I think he's 
pretty lynched in there. I, I don't know. Like, is that something that's on your radar that it wouldn't surprise you if that's where they go down? Is values really high? They need to rebuild a little bit. What could you do? Yeah. Like, where are you at with Alonzo and the Mets? I, I, I can see it happening. I mean, look, it would be a horrible PR hit. And I think yes. it's the kind of thing where th- there are two ways to look at that deal. One is the cold, hard. How does it, you know, is this the right fiscal and roster building move for the New York Mets to trade away Pete Alonzo, who for as great as he is, will be uh, is a 30 year old right handed first baseman who is, you know, and, and this is the case with everybody is only going to get worse as time goes on. Mm. You know, he is already to be cannot be moved to another position. The, the best you can do is make him a DH. It is going to cost minimum $25 million a year, if not more, to sign him long term. Mm-hmm. I have to imagine any deal for him, he's going to want to lock his lock himself up through his mid-30s. You're probably looking at something along the lines of minimum like 5 150 maybe like 6 200 something along those lines. That is a ton of money for a right-handed first baseman. Mm-hmm. You know, that is not the kind of guy that ages particularly well. And again, Alonzo's already on the older side. He's going to turn 30 in, uh, just going to look this up so I have the exact date. He will turn 30, actually, he just turned uh, He just turned 29 about, about three weeks ago. Happy birthday, Pete. So he'll turn 30 at the end of next season. However, um, you know, so there there is plenty of an argument you can make that this is not necessarily the way the Mets need to go, is to sign that kind of guy long term. And I understand that. That makes sense. You, you want to build a more flexible roster. You're already on the hook money-wise for another, I'm just multiplying 35 by 7, which is a obscene amount of money. You're already on the hook for another $250 million to Francisco Lindor, basically till the end of time. You have another uh, roughly $140 million to give uh, Brandon Nimmo from here till basically the end of time. You have, uh, you know, and, and granted, some of this, they, those are the two really big expenditures the Mets have. For the most part, everything else is coming off the book soon. They've got two more years of Starling Marte, uh, two more guaranteed years of Edwin Diaz, three more guaranteed years of Jeff McNeil at reasonable money. Um, you know, th- this isn't like the the Mets are in, in in salary hell for the remainder of, of time. You know, it's you know this year their sal- their their payroll is going to be enormous, uh, in particular because of all the money that they are covering with the for Justin Verlander's and Max Scherzer's contracts after creating them. But you know. This is a roster where you can make a long-term extension. It's just, is Nimmo the guy you want to give that money to? But then, like I said, there's the other side of it, which is he is, it's either him or Lindor is the most popular guy on this team. Mm. He is the heart and soul of that team in so many ways. And more importantly than that, if you're Steve Cohen, what does it say to Mets fans? What message does it send to them? If you've come in initially saying, we're going to spend like crazy, we're going to win the back pages, we're going to be the best team in New York, we're going to be an immediate contender, to two years later going, uh, yeah, we're trading the most popular guy on the team because he might be too expensive for me, a literal billionaire. It, it's the kind of stuff that you don't really recover from, especially given the history of this franchise and especially given what this fan base is used to. I yeah, don't know how you won. Like if they'd gotten a ring in the last two years, I don't think it hurts as much. I think if you build that cachet over years, like I just I don't think the timing's going to be right over the next couple of years for that kind of move. No, and, and, and especially the way you look at it, too. Like, this is not a team that's going to be good, I think, in 2024. I don't think mm. they're going to be bad. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. But this is also not a team where you look at their roster going, 95 wins, up, baby. I don't Easy think they title. plan for that to be the case, too. 
No, and, and it's very clear that uh, a lot of what Cohen was doing last offseason was essentially, well, one was he was very, he's a very rich man who spends very stupidly mm. and just decided that a fun thing to do would be to give like Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer a billion dollars, which mm. is not a terrible idea, just for the record, but mm. is is a particular mindset for, the, for a, a particular kind of Mark Cuban-esque billionaire, but it also is a sign of just how little else the Mets had, that they had to give that money to Verlander and, and Scherzer because there's really, again, look, look at this roster right now. This rotation right now is Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Adrian Hauser, Tyler McGill. That is mm. flat out awful. Yeah. This lineup right now, Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo. Great. Starley Marte, DJ Stewart, Francisco Alvarez, Brett Batty, Tyrone Taylor. Not so great. Like this is not a good team. Just straight up, it is not a good team. And that's not even getting into a really bad bullpen beyond Edwin Diaz, who is coming off a major knee injury. Like, and uh, all the worst, too, by, you know, they've lost now two guys probably for the entirety of next season, definitely in Ronnie Mauricio, potentially in David Peterson, helpful guys. And you look at this farm system. It's not a bad one, particularly now that they added Luis Angel Acuna and Drew Gilbert, your boy, who I'm legally obligated to mention here. Mm. But... Not an overall very strong farm system. If you look at our farm system rankings from uh, the end of last season, not have not been updated. Again, our Fangraphs. Fangraphs farm system rankings updated at the end of last season. The Mets were, well, they were seventh in, in our estimation. But, you know, a lot of that was adding Acuna and, and Gilbert. Mm. Beyond those two guys, it's a lot of lottery tickets. It's not guys who are ready to help you right now. So, I think you're right with what you said. Like, if this were a team coming out of a better position, if they'd won recently, or if, mm. you know, if there were some indication, too, that it's like, boy, like, if this were the NFL or the NBA, they're like, we're in cap hell, and we've just got to make some ugly choices to get out of it. But that's mm. not the case. You can't have a billionaire owner, the richest man in the sport, come in and then two years later be cutting costs like that. You, It, yes. it is just such an awful look. So, I mean, look, would I be surprised? Not necessarily, no, because I don't know that a long-term commitment to Pete Alonso is really in the Mets' best interest. But what I think it's a good and what I think it's a good move, well, obviously depends on what they get in exchange. Mm -hmm. But just speaking purely from a PR level, from a from a from a optics level, it's awful. And I think that is probably the thing that that moves the needle most for Steve Cohen is what is this going to look like for me optics optics wise? How is this going to paint me as an owner if the if the biggest move I make after my after my team imploded in hideous fashion last season is, yeah, now we're getting rid of the guy everyone likes. We're getting rid of the best hitter on this team. So long. Too bad. Well, I, Lindor is arguably a better hitter, but mm. I, I don't know. I I can see it, but I have a really, I think everyone involved would have a really hard time stomaching it. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't know which wins out at the end of the day. I think he stays. I don't think he moves anytime soon, but I do think we're going to have the rumors of like, Teams are calling about Peter Alonso this year. I, I think the rumors are already out there. And I think if the Mets are in a similar position uh, this summer as they were last summer, I think more likely than not, he will get moved at the deadline because I think it's easier to sell it at that point is, hey, it's his last season under contract. You know, he can always come back as a free agent. We've got to try to get better for the future. Blah, 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 blah. Does but, he make more? Does he get a bigger return than Matt Olson? No, hell no. Absolutely okay. not. No way. No, because Olson at the very least was under cheaper contract yeah, and was clearly, and, and look, I guess maybe, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily know how you, I don't think Matt Olson and, and Pete Alonso necessarily compare as a, at a player to player level, but let's just use Matt Olson's contract, I guess, as a starting point, his extension with the, the Braves. And also keeping in mind that Atlanta 
has a secret mind control device that they use to get these guys to sign below market extensions for reasons no one understands. <laughs> Eight years and 168 million mm-hmm. uh, to cover the 2022 through 2029 seasons with a team option for 2030 that is valued at $20 million. So that is a steady, uh, he was paid $15 million the first year of that deal, $21 million last season, and then a steady 2022 or $22 million uh, that'll be paid out over the next six seasons. So you call that six times 22 is six years, 132 million. Mm-hmm. I think that's at the, I think at the minimum, that's Alonzo's floor for the next six years is $125 million. You know, is, is, mm-hmm. is Steve Cohen willing to pay that for a lesser hitter who also hits right-handed? I don't like, I, I don't know that I would do it, but I also am not Steve Cohen. I mean, I, I, to a certain degree, I wish I were. It'd be nice to have $13 billion. But that's a really tough thing to ask. And I, I also mm-hmm. think, again, that is going to be Alonzo's floor. I think he's realistically going to be seeking $150 million. Or, you know, I, I don't see him being a guy who just says, yeah, just give me Matt, just give me Matt Olson's deal. I don't care. I, I think he's going to ask for more than that. And I think it's going to be pretty hard for, for him to argue otherwise when he can say, I hit 46 home runs in 2023. I'm a guaranteed 35 home run a year uh, power threat. I am popular and likable and media savvy. You know, mm. I fit the city of New York, which is a very difficult thing. You know, I, I have such a hard time seeing him taking less than what Olsen is getting over the next six years. Um, and understandably so. Um, I don't see him taking that much more necessarily. I don't think any team is going to make him an offer of more than like $180 million over six years. But I also don't think he's going to take anything less than 125, 130 to stay. I, and I also I don't know that there's really going to be a hometown discount. Nor do I think there should be, given again, Steve Cohen is worth 13 billion dollars. That's a great way of ending it, John Taylor. Well, thank you. I think so myself. I think so good. too. Myself. Like, hey, that's a good way. Sometimes you just stumble into a good ending to a pod. So yeah, it's, it's it is the particular alchemy and magic of podcasting. Absolutely. We don't have to, I, because it's not fan graphs anymore. I don't have anything to plug here. We, we don't have anything to plug as we wrap up on uh, this first post fan graphs pod for you. Yeah. Although my little, my little thing still says, I noticed so. that at the beginning of the show and I forgot <laughs> to take it off. I thought I did it last week and I didn't want to say anything. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed and I was already behind tonight. And I was like, I probably should, but it's okay. It, it's it's okay. I, I like that the people listening to this have no idea what we're talking about, but I have a little fan graphs iron underneath my name well a lot of people watch this we have over a thousand in the last two days since i posted the last week's episode oh wow look at us getting viewers no we're doing that look our otani in the the hot stove is hot john taylor well it's not hot right now although i prefer it not being hot during the holidays here's here's what should have been my take Mm. mlb should did i say this last last week mlb should do like the nhl does and institute a roster freeze during the holidays no transactions no additions no nothing yeah yeah, let us let us breathe. Let us baseball people breathe for a, yeah. for even just one single week. Get like to quote Boromir in, in the in the Fellowship of the Ring. Give them a moment for pity's sake. Like, well, not let us have that, our but space. also sports. Like, look, I host a sports podcast each and every day. Um, I like sports uh, more at eleven, but you know, when I'm with my family and we're hanging out, like I don't. I had this desire, like I'm having to go watch. I want to watch the NBA stuff on Christmas Day. And I'm like, I wish I didn't have that option. You know what I mean? Like, I wish yeah. we all collectively were like, let's not do this. Like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, just, let's just take time off. Yeah. 
let's not do it. Like, let's not get the option. Cause I don't like the option where I'm like, I want to know, like, you know what I mean? It's just very annoying when you have things that you're like, I really want to prioritize this, but your brain, because you do this for a living yeah. and everything like, it's just, I, I, I need, you're just drawn to the den to go uh, check in on stuff. And you're like, I just don't give me the option to just stop. Let these people be. Just stop. Yeah. Let's give us all, give us all a breather. Yeah. hundred percent. John Taylor, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.